Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm so glad you've joined us on today's podcast. And here on the Clark Howard Show, we try to give you information that will help you empower yourself so that you take more control of your wallet and your future. And, you know, we do that each and every day around the clock at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. And one thing that is on some people's minds very much and others are like, really? You're talking about that already? Is doing your taxes for last year. So there's a divide with this. People who are expecting money back, who've overpaid into the IRS, or maybe you were due stimulus money that you're only going to get through your return, are highly motivated to file their tax returns as quickly as they can. Other people who owe money, wait, wait, wait till they file. So if you are someone who tends to be an early filer, I want to give you some good news and some bad news. First, the good news. IRS free file is up and operative at irs.gov. What free file is, is where if you have an income under $72,000 a year, which includes most taxpayers, you are eligible to prepare and file your tax return for free. If you go to irs.gov, move down the front screen a little bit, kind of over to the right, there are these boxes there. You'll see a box for free file. You click on that free file box, and then it will take you to a variety of income tax preparation services that will tell you, will they do your return in your state or not? And do they charge you for your state filing or are both federal and state filings free? State, if you live in a state with a state income tax. And so you go ahead, once you select who you're going to use for tax preparation, prepare your return, or if you have a state one as well, returns, and then you click to file, and then that puts you in first position for on February 12th when the IRS will accept those electronic filings and will put you at the front of the line for your refund as well. Now, there is a complication with refunds this year. That's the second time I've said complication, right? There's another one, and it involves the earned income tax credit. A significant portion of people who are eligible for free file are also eligible for the earned income tax credit, which is uh, what is referred to by economists as a negative income tax that gives you money against your bill or even beyond your tax bill to encourage people to work and work more. So the earned income tax credit has also been an area that's led to a lot of fraud. So the IRS is going to start processing returns on the 12th. 
but will hold back on doing the refunds till typically a couple of weeks later after they process yours to go through a fraud detection software process to decide that you really are as best they can determine who you say you are and then your refund will come. So because of the additional steps involved in the process, if getting a refund is important to you, you want to file your return as soon as you've got all your documentation, your W-2s, whatever, and then know that it gets you earlier in the queue, gets you through the anti-fraud detection, and then will get you your refund sooner is the whole theory, the whole idea. And the earned income tax credit, if you're like, what is that? A lot of people, particularly with kids, qualify for it, don't know. Tax preparation software should pick up on whether or not you would be an eligible individual or couple for the earned income tax credit. And that's leaving free money on the table if you are eligible and you overlook it. It's time for your questions. You post it for me at clark.com slash ask. And Joel, what you got today? All right, Clark, let's start with a question from Juliet in Connecticut. She says, I am ready to buy a condo and I've got the cash. Should I forego getting a mortgage and then just start building up my savings again? I figure I would be saving the interest and origination fees, the appraisal, all of those things that could cost something in the neighborhood of like $6,000 just in order to buy uh, this condo. Yeah, and with today's low interest rates, I know there are people who'd say, why would you give up that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get a mortgage at 2 point or 3 point something percent? The reality is if you have cash sitting there earning uh, 0 point something percent, there's still a couple of points spread or more between what mortgage rates are and what savings rates are. And if you have the cash... And over time, what you would have paid in a mortgage payment, you build back up your savings. Pay cash. As you mentioned, you save on all those junk fees involved with originating a mortgage. And it's just really a Clark smart thing to do to own that condo free and clear from the get-go. Krista? Clark Kenneth in North Carolina says, my car lease is up in a couple of months. Should I renew, buy the car, or can you change to a different year? What are the variables? And money is an issue here. So the first thing you've got to look at is miles that you've used the lease vehicle. If you're significantly below or significantly above the number of miles that you were allotted under the lease, those are two circumstances where normally it would make sense for you to buy the lease vehicle. In one case, if you've gone way over the miles, you're facing mileage penalties that could be in the thousands of dollars. On the other hand, if you're substantially below the miles that the lease allotted, then you have paid for miles you didn't use, you're leaving money on the table. And that would also support you buying the vehicle. If you're around the miles that the lease allowed for, then you move to the next step, which would apply in all three cases. And that is, what is the residual stated in the lease, in other words, what you have to pay to buy the vehicle, versus what those vehicles are worth today? Now, there's been an unusual cycle 
with used vehicle prices inflated right now. So in the overwhelming number of cases over the last seven or eight months, it's very much to your advantage to buy a lease vehicle for the residual because usually the residual will be below the fair market value of that vehicle at this point. Then the next factors are, have you enjoyed the vehicle, which is more a personal thing. If you have enjoyed the vehicle and it's been reliable and dependable for you, then yes, buy it. If you're not a member of a credit union, join one. If you are a member, go to the credit union and see what they will write a loan for you for on this what would now be a used vehicle that you would be buying knowing the entire history of it as you would become the owner rather than the person leasing it. Joel? Clark Ron in Oklahoma says, my 20-year term life insurance policy is set to expire on my 69th birthday. To continue with the same policy, my rates would go from $1,800 a year to over $28,000 a year upon this expiration. So is there an insurance company that offers life insurance for senior citizens without breaking the bank? I don't have any long-term debts and my house and cars are all paid for. So the different issue in your case is at 69, you probably have no need for life insurance. You have all these assets free and clear. Um, Unless you are worth a zillion dollars, you don't have the possibility of an estate tax issue for heirs. And so your need for life insurance is all about replacement of income for those who depend on you to live. And if there's no one who absolutely needs your stream of income, you just let that policy expire at age 69 and you're done. It's very, very rare that you would need to have a policy after that point and imagine just imagine those numbers. Joel, you said it goes from 1800 a year to 20 what thousand a year? 28,000. 28,000. And that's because that shows the baked in advantage of a long-term level term insurance policy and that premiums stayed so low for so long even as the risk to the insurer rose every single year. Krista Dolores in Georgia says, are legal documents that you can obtain and do online really legally binding, like wills, power of attorney? I'm considering doing my will online as opposed to the fee from an attorney. What's your opinion, and is there a site you feel is better? Wonderful question. All right, so doing a will online can be completely valid, but whether you should do a will online depends on a few circumstances. Number one, no family drama in your life. No blended families, no people who uh, feud with each other, anything like that. Um, If any situation where there's his kids, her kids, their kids, anything like that, you hire a lawyer to do a will. You got a lot of money, you hire a lawyer to do a will. Um, You own a family business, you hire a lawyer to do a will. So in other words, doing an online will is only for very basic, simple situations for people who have money, but not necessarily a lot. And so Willmaker is the granddaddy of self-prep wills, 
And if you use WillMaker or use LegalZoom or someone like that, when you're doing that, if at any point you get confused in the process, you bail and you go see a lawyer to do your will. And we've got much more for you coming straight ahead, including, I just got my first vaccine. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here on the Clark Howard Podcast, i let you know what's been going on in my life and ways that what's happening to me gives me experiences that are of value to others. And I went through a lot trying to get a vaccine for the coronavirus. I'm 65 and a half. I have pre-existings. And um, gosh, I have three pre-existings. And I hate it when people are older start talking about their ailments. But anyway, it was really important for me to get a vaccine. And Krista was beating her head against the wall, trying to find me a vaccine anywhere and everywhere. And I want to tell you, I really appreciate your efforts. Well, you know what? You really definitely needed one. You qualified for one and you have pre-existings and um, we need you to get out and about again. So the way I got one is something that uh, was kind of distressing. I got a phone call from my asthma doctor's office saying that uh, I was, they had gotten their first hundred doses and they ranked their patients based on age and condition over age 65. And I came in 96th out of 100. So I was the 96th patient in their practice to get a vaccine because I have moderate to severe asthma, and that's a contributing factor to having an adverse outcome from coronavirus. And so I uh, was given a list of appointment times, went in, uh, I was pretty speedy, and had my vaccination waited around to see if I had any kind of reaction to the shot, and I did not, didn't hurt at all getting the shot, no issues in the waiting period. And then the next day and the day after, my arm hurt like I'd gotten slugged by Mike Tyson. I mean, I know he's older and his skills aren't as good, uh, even the older Mike Tyson, that that's kind of what it felt like. It just really uh, was hurting. And it was funny because when the nurse gave me the shot, she said, are you a side sleeper before she gave the shot? And I was like, huh, that's an interesting question. And she said, 
I need to give you the shot in whatever arm you don't lie on if you're a side sleeper. So she gave it in my left arm, and I see why, because the next couple of nights, whoo, that arm really hurt, and then that was it. And I'm good, and um, I'll have, based on what I've read about Moderna, I'll have significant but not uh, truly protective uh, amount of vaccine in me late next week, and then I go back February 11th for my second vaccine, and then two weeks after that, I'll have somewhere between 88% and 95% protection from coronavirus. And we as a country have totally botched the coronavirus vaccine rollout. It's been just pitiful the way we've handled it, that uh, shots are being thrown away, doses are being thrown away because of uh, terrible lack of coordination and disorganization at all levels of government. I read a story today about how much CVS and Walgreens that the feds were relying on to do the vaccinations at nursing homes, how much they allegedly have failed in their responsibilities to public health. And I hope that the publicity surrounding the failures of CVS and Walgreens get them into gear to do the job they're supposed to do. Ironically enough, uh, in this story I read, I read about, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember the source, I read about West Virginia that has done a fantastic job vaccinating its nursing home patients. Why? Because they allowed local independent pharmacies to do the vaccinating instead of these big bureaucratic inefficient chains. And, you know, if I were the emperor of vaccinations, I would have gotten the supermarkets involved because CVS and Walgreens are lumbering giants that are not in a competitive industry. The supermarket industry, on the other hand, that uh, very heavily has uh, large pharmacy operations, have the freezer capabilities already in place because of the temperatures these vaccines have to be stored. And in addition, they are so customer-driven because the hyper-competitive markets that they're in, that they would not be asleep at the switch getting these vaccinations done. And we will get it together. It's just a tragic loss of life during the time period we're losing because of a failure to implement vaccinations well and properly. Um, A lot of companies, speaking of staying well, a lot of companies will require their employees to get vaccinated. Others will pay you a bribe or pay you money, whatever you want to call it, to get vaccinated. This was something that was first announced by Dollar General, and now a bunch of companies are saying they're going to pay people a bonus or additional pay hours or whatever to get vaccinated because everybody knows in business that the key to an economic recovery for American capitalism and for small businesses in particular is going to be based on getting enough shots in enough people's arms. And there are people who are anti-vaccine, there are people who are afraid of vaccines, and I hope that over time, as people see that the vaccine actually reduces the danger and the deaths and the hospitalizations, 
that people who have been reluctant or skeptical will change their opinion on it. Now, I know there are people who object to me discussing this, and so you can go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me know how you feel like I need to stay within my boundaries of talking about the best deals on savings rates or whatever, but I am so concerned about the economic future of individual Americans, American entrepreneurs and their businesses, small businesses, and our relative economic health versus countries that wish us harm that I really, really want to see us get behind the vaccines and make our country not just physically healthy again, but economically healthy again. And it's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. And Joel, what you got for me? Our Clark Vincent in Arizona has got a question. He says, hi, Clark. My wife and I are thinking about selling our house in the next few months and purchasing a new home. We hear so many advertisements about programs like offer up to sell your home in a different kind of way. What kind of advice would you give to someone considering using uh, a website like that versus using a real estate agent to list your home? Yeah, so there are a lot of players piling into the what's called the iBuyers business, and Zillow is one. Um, there are there are a whole bunch that are doing this. One in particular called Knock is for people that are selling one house and buying another. That works with participating builders to make sure that you're going to be able to be a buyer of the new home by guaranteeing you the sale of your old home. So I have surveyed these companies. I actually sold a property from through one of the iBuyers. Uh, was that last year or two years ago? I guess almost two years ago. And the process is very easy with the iBuyers. You put in a request, and they will tell you right away if your home is one that meets their eligible criteria for them to buy from you. You tell them when you'd like them to buy it and all the rest. They make an offer to you. They charge you a service fee, which is kind of like a rough equivalent of a real estate agent's commission, and you're done. The beauty of trying several of the iBuyers against each other is there will be big differences in what one iBuyer thinks your house is worth versus another versus another. And you may end up deciding you don't want to use any of them and you still will have the data on what they think your home is worth, which will help you in placing a value on listing your home either for sale by owner or with a traditional real estate agent. As far as complaints about the iBuyers, the only complaint we ever had was about feeling that they lowballed on the offer made to your house. And we've only had that complaint over the last few years a couple of times so it is a legitimate way for you to move a house with certainty instead of putting a house on the market and not knowing how quickly or slowly it will sell one other angle on this is that if you are afraid of coronavirus you don't have to worry about your home being shown you move out and the i buyer is the one that has to fix it up the way they want put it on the market and deal with the showings and all the rest, you don't. You're out of the picture. Krista? 
Judith in Georgia says, is there a work from home company? There is a work from home company that's being advertised online. I'm looking for a a legit work from home job. How do I tell if this company is for real? Thanks for your help and for all you do to help the consumer. This is going to be one of the most negative things you'll ever hear me say. You have to assume that every work at home opportunity out there is fraudulent until proven otherwise. Now, I'll tell you, we revise our work at home guide at Clark.com regularly. And of the ones we look at to decide if they should be included, wow, well more than 90% end up being rejected for inclusion on our list because most of them are cons. They are not necessarily out and out frauds, but they misrepresent, over promise, under deliver. Be very cautious with any organization, particularly anybody who wants money from you, that's when you know you almost certainly need to run the other way. It's occasionally true that you may have a tiny fee for a background check, usually under 50 bucks, and that could be legit depending on what kind of work you'd be doing, but be careful out there. Joel? Clark Dan in North Carolina says, when I heard that your radio show was ending, I was crushed, but I'm really enjoying your podcast. I can listen whenever it fits into my schedule. So thank you so much for continuing to produce it. I recently reviewed my children's 529 earnings in 2020. My older child has more principal since simply just to being the older child. However, my younger child has had more earnings last year. I attribute this to the age adjustment investing in the plan. However, since he is four years from college and since you advise for us to not use the funds until junior or senior years, is it too soon for that portfolio to be moving into a little bit more of a conservative investment style? No, let it go more conservative on the age-based because you don't know what the market brings us in the next few years. Stocks are very highly valued right now. We have a a really decent chance that in a shorter term, remember we talk about investing being something you're doing for seven years or longer. In the shorter term, we have risk of the market turning down and you ending up with less money available for college if you go into something a little more aggressive in terms of age-based. So I would leave it be, and you don't have to follow my junior-senior thing on 529 money at all. It's just my bias is built in that way. It is a specific rule, though, typically for 529 money that's in the name of a grandparent for a beneficiary of a grandchild. Hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, and uh, you are finding your way to us from where you listen to me on radio. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, just go to clark.com slash podcast.